So Brett Veach can't stop trading for inside linebackers no matter how hard he tries. Oh, and there was a game against Seattle that we got to talk about. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, the Chief in the North. This is the land of 10,000 takes. Here we are in episode 9. Time is just flying when you're having fun. I need to apologize first of all. Generally speaking, these podcasts are going to drop Monday afternoon, but right now I'm recording on a Monday afternoon. Life got in the way a little bit, so I apologize that we're a little bit out of our regular time slot. That said, it's great to be with you. There's a ton to talk about today, so I'm going to dive right into it. Um, The Chiefs obviously traded for a former first or second round pick, Reggie Ragland, uh, formerly of Alabama, which is going to be the big news that I'd like to go over a little bit. I've had a chance to look at a little bit of his college stuff. Uh, he doesn't have any pro film available, um, at least any regular season pro film. Um, so I want to talk about him, and then we're going to dive as deep as we can into the Seattle game. There's a lot to talk about there, a lot of questions that people had that they wanted me to look into um, regarding the offensive line and run blocking, some of the issues in that game how the defensive line looked, Kareem Hunt, the running back rotation, um, Kemp, our inside linebacker situation, which is obviously affected by the trade we see today. And then, as usual, you've got the uh, Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes stuff that everyone always wants to talk about. So, again, there's a lot to get through today, and so I'm going to do my very best. But let's start off with the big news of the day. Uh, The Chiefs traded for Reggie Ragland. Again, he's a former second-round pick. He was with the Bills. Um, this was just in. This is what's interesting. Uh, he was just drafted in 2016, and so he sat out his whole rookie year with uh, with an injury. And so, word on the street, or at least the word that I'm hearing, is that he wasn't quite healthy yet. Um, And so he was still whipping his way back into playing shape. The Bills, in the meantime, they've switched schemes from a 34 to a 43, where Ragland is not a fit, and so that's why he ended up on the trading block. Um, He's a name that a lot of people will recognize, especially people that follow college football, because he played for Alabama and was part of... Yet another fantastic Alabama defense. It wasn't just part of it, was a, a huge part of it. Um, he was a unanimous All-American his last year, um, considered a very good player. And so this is kind of an interesting thing because the Chiefs just traded for an inside linebacker, although they traded away an inside linebacker for him, not too long ago in KPL. We've all wondered whether or not he could see snaps. Um, I'm going to talk about him a little bit um, in connection with... Um, Ragland, and I'm going to talk about how him and Aligwe look right now. And so, you know, obviously the Chiefs are still kind of just kind of trolling for inside linebackers that they think can help next to DJ this year and next year. Um, so Ragland's an interesting player when you look at him. Uh, he was known coming into the draft, and we're going to have to base most of this on his college film. In fact, all of it, because there's just nothing as a pro. Uh, he hasn't been healthy. Uh, Coming out from college, uh, he was known as a thumper, and if you watch his film, that's exactly what he is. He is a downhill player. He's a guy that that can take on blockers. He's a guy that is really at his best run-stuffing, interior runs. Um, uh, He's got really good size. He's got really good power. And he plays a really physical brand of football. Again, you know, he played at Alabama. He fit right in there. 
An interesting thing that I saw watching what's available from his college film via the usual draft breakdown type sources and that kind of thing is he also seemed like he was in charge of helping the defense get and stay lined up correctly. Um, I saw repeatedly uh, pre-snap him going up and down the line, shuffling defensive linemen, showing them where to line up, pointing out gaps that they need to watch, uh, that kind of thing. That's good news. Um, the fact that he was was something of the the the, the captain of the of, of such a great defense. And it's not like Alabama is the easiest defensive scheme on the planet. Um, and so it's it, it's really encouraging seeing him be a leader in that area. And I thought that was something that didn't get pointed out enough when people talked about his college tape. The fact that though he seems like a bruiser, he also seemed like a pretty cerebral player. He, under, he seems to understand angles, particularly when you're talking about uh, runs inside the hashes. He seems to understand where to be. Um, with regards to uh, zone coverage concepts, he seems to understand depth. He does a good job trying to interfere with passing lanes. He seems to just overall know where to be and what to do, again, based on his college film. So those are the positives. The biggest thing that he brings, and I, I, I've only posted one GIF because I was in a hurry to get to recording. The biggest thing that he brings is that he, he brings some physicality. He's a big linebacker and he's a strong linebacker and he is more than willing to try to stuff the run at the point of attack. He is more than willing to uh, take on blockers. He's more than willing to do all the things that really the Chiefs are looking for right now. The uh, The bottom line is they uh, the, the Chiefs, they've got DJ obviously and there's been a bit of a competition going on for the spot next to him. Now, Rameek Wilson, by my eye, has played better this preseason than I've ever seen him play. And so I'm a little surprised that they might be looking for someone. But at the end of the day, uh, Raglan's a different type of player than what we've seen from Rameek Wilson. He's, he's obviously he's much bigger. He's more physical at the point of attack. And he is uh, he's more of a just... You know, old school, take you on linebacker who maybe when you think about how the Chiefs, oh, excuse me, goodness gracious, I start doing a podcast and suddenly I'm coughing. Anyway, uh, somehow he fits in with what the Chiefs want their linebacker opposite of Derek Johnson to do. They 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 look for DJ to to run around, make plays sideline to sideline, stay in on passing downs. What they've eternally looked for is a guy who's willing to take on blockers, fill running lanes, and thump. That's been the main thing there. A guy who won't hesitate, who will just get after it. And I think Raglan might be that guy. Now, those are the positive things, okay? Uh, if you look at this in terms of... Best case scenario, this would be an absolute steal. The Chiefs traded him for a fourth rounder in 2019. And so it's not even a 2018 pick. It's a 2019 fourth rounder, which, I mean, can kind of tell you the Bills were on the verge of releasing this guy. Um, so it's it, I wouldn't necessarily get too hyped up just for that reason alone. And then additionally... Because he does show weaknesses, even in his college tape, when he was considered uh, an All-American, he was considered a great inside linebacker prospect. 
Um, a few of the issues that I saw with him, it starts with speed. He is not a sideline-to-sideline defender, and in college he was barely a sideline-to-sideline defender. I don't think he's got good speed at all at the NFL level. Um, His instincts help make up for it at times, but if you're talking guys that are stretching to the edge, he is not a guy that's going to help run down plays from behind. He, if anything, could be a liability in that area. Additionally, because of his lack of speed, I don't want to see him in man-to-man coverage. Um, he, he does all right in zone coverage because he seems to understand the nuances of where to be and what to do. But the few times that I saw him trying to run with even college-level running backs, it's just not pretty. And that's not something he should be asked to do. And so... I think Raglan might be one of those cases of a great college player who's more of a of a niche pro player, just because uh, speed limitation is something that can really you know well <laughs> slow down a linebacker. It just it, there there's a you know you must be this high to ride the roller coaster requirement, and I'm not sure he fits that with regards to being a three down player or a great linebacker. That said, he fits a need. Um, The Chiefs need a downhill thumper, and they don't really have anyone that can fit that role. The closest thing they had was Josh Maga, who they released um, while they made this move for Ragland. And the guys that they have, look, Rameek Wilson, again, he's playing better. He's hesitating less. He, He seems more willing to try to take on blockers, but he is not a big physical inside linebacker. Justin March, who has fallen out of favor, is not a big physical inside linebacker. Um, KPL, while he's got okay size, he's a speed guy for the most part. And and even him, he's not a big linebacker. And so you you just go on down the list. Aligwe is another guy who gets by a lot more on athleticism. And so what you've got is a bunch of guys that can do the running around thing. They can try to play sideline to sideline. But honestly, the closest the Chiefs have been to a thumper is Justin March. And the fact of the matter is Justin March is undersized. Um, And so being a thumper linebacker was always going to be a struggle for him. So that's kind of that's kind of my take on that trade is there's some some interesting potential here. I'm not going to get too hyped up about it though, at least for this season because I do think he's still kind of rounding into shape and I think it would be difficult for him to unseat Rameek Wilson. I think I don't think it's going to affect the starters. Um but it'll be interesting to watch down the line because if he is a guy who can consistently thump and consistently fill gaps on the inside, he'll find his way onto the field because the Chiefs haven't found someone to reliably do that. Um, another thing that he could be is insurance in case DJ gets hurt. Not to replace DJ, mind you, because that would be a disaster. But if Rameek Wilson needs to fill DJ's spot, which is what they did last year, having a guy who could slide into that other inside linebacker spot and be the thumper and not have it be a complete disaster. Because that's how last year ended up. It was a total disaster. Everyone else, Rameek did the best he could, although he still struggled at times. Um, But the other guy, whoever they plugged in there, was consistently not good. And so that's what I think this could be also, is DJ insurance in a weird way for... So he's Rameek insurance for if DJ goes down. That's a lot of uh, connections there, but hopefully you follow me. So that's my take on the, on the Raglan trade. It'll be really interesting to see where that goes moving forward. But if you just go back and you watch a few of his games, you can see why they would have been interested in him. He brings a physicality that I think the Chiefs defense is lacking sometimes. And so... That's someone that I'm interested in watching moving forward. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Well, not the Seahawks, but the Chiefs playing the Seahawks. That was a, a, a not fun game to watch. 
especially the live viewing. I actually walked away from that extremely discouraged, which, you know, live viewings, they can deceive you. But at the same time, it just seemed like one of those games where the Chiefs didn't really show up to play. And so since that time, I've had a chance to rewatch the game a couple times, focusing on different aspects of the game. And <laughs> funnily enough, uh, I expected to come out of that feeling more discouraged. Instead, I've come out of it feeling... Well, okay, things might not be as bad as I thought, which, you know, I, I hate being wrong, and sometimes I'm wrong. And I think I, was, I think I was wrong to be a little bit on the ledge after that game. I think I fell a bit into the preseason trap, as it were. And when I started really reviewing the film, it was really more conglomeration of very preventable errors than it was Seattle being better than Kansas City. And the simple fact of the matter is, even with all those stupid errors, thanks to, uh, you know, Dave Taub's special teams unit being as good as it is, even though they had a few mis- really uncharacteristic mistakes. The Chiefs, they were down six at halftime after playing a terrible half of football for them, a very, very terrible half of football, and with Russell Wilson playing extremely well. And so that's actually a bit encouraging because they took a good shot from the Seahawks and they were still able to hang. And so there were a few things that I, I'd like to look over, in particular, um, kind of getting a closer look at what happened against the Seahawks and why I'm actually a little encouraged after reviewing the film. The first thing is the offensive line. I, I heard some people ragging on the offensive line after the game. And yes, the second and third string is still very concerning. I totally agree. The first string, however, I thought did a pretty good job. The pressures that I saw um, that that came on to Alex Smith... Those were, there was one that was schematic, a player that was left unblocked on a rollout, and there was one where Kareem Hunt missed a block on Chancellor that resulted in a scramble. Outside of those two plays, I think there was one more that was schematic in nature, and then there was one play where just Schwartz got beat by, uh, I believe it was Bennett, who, you know, look, Bennett's a great player, he's going to beat your tackle every now and then. And so... Uh, beyond that, it really wasn't that bad. Um, Alex did have time to throw on a lot of snaps, and the offensive line did a pretty good job in pass protection, which they've done all preseason, so that wasn't particularly surprising to me. One area, and I'm going to be writing about this on Arrowhead Pride in the next day or two here, one area that I found really encouraging that was kind of a continuation from the Cincinnati game is the run blocking. Um, the Chiefs did a really good job run blocking against the the Seahawks defense. It was consistent throughout the the entire game. They just did a really good job paving the way for for Kareem Hunt and for Spencer Ware before he got hurt. That was really encouraging. Um, There were a lot of good uh, inside pulls and traps and that kind of thing, and they executed them very well. Travis Kelsey was a big part of it. And if you go back and you watch it, and I'm, again, I'm going to be writing about this, so I'll be showing some GIFs, and there's some on Twitter, at Real Minnesota Chiefs Fan, or MN Chiefs Fan. Uh, if you take a look at those, you'll see the the line itself, even when they were just straight-up power blocking, was getting some good push. That was really encouraging, particularly the interior line. Uh, Morse and LDT especially were doing a good job getting push. A quick note on the offensive line as well, and that just goes to show kind of how Andy Reid was viewing this game. They rotated the line multiple times. They had various lineups in there. They they had, rather than just the first team lineup in there the whole time, they swapped out LDT for Fulton for a bit. They put Fulton in at center for a bit and at left guard for a bit. They were swapping guys around different positions along that interior. I got to tell you, when you've got your coach doing that, it's a pretty good indication that he's not viewing this as... Uh, 
as, as the most important game in the world. Andy Reid looked like he was trying stuff on the offensive line, which kind of goes to show the attitude that he had towards the game, which in my opinion is similar to the attitude Bob Sutton had towards the game, but we'll talk about that in a second. One more thing with regards to the offense. If you remove some really uncharacteristic drops, uh, it's an entirely different stat line and it's an entirely different looking game. There were multiple first down drops that were made that were just uncharacteristic. Tyreek Hill really struggled. He is going to have to, and he talked about it after the game, he's got to gather the ball in before he starts running. And I think he understands that now, but that's something to look at going forward because if he wants to be a number one receiver in this league, you got to have reliable hands, no matter how fast you are. And he was getting separation against a good Seattle secondary, but you got to gather the ball in, then run. Travis Kelsey had one of those two. There were about four or five first downs that were dropped alone. And there were a couple other drops that maybe weren't placed as well as they should have been, but they still should have been caught. And so you remove those, and they were kind of uncharacteristic, and the offense looks just fine. And so against a good defense that was really going for it out there. And so I'm just not on the ledge like I was. Um, there were just some uncharacteristic mistakes and just a lot of penalties. I really think that the penalties are part of what made that game so unbearable to watch. And then you transfer that feeling onto the Chiefs as you watch the game. And I think that's one reason I walked out of there with such a bad taste in my mouth. It just wasn't fun to watch. Part of that was penalties. Um, and talking about not being all that disheartened about the loss, a final note I would make that showed really how the Chiefs were approaching this game is how Bob Sutton approached the game defensively. If you go back and watch, it was, you know, everyone always says vanilla with regards to preseason scheme and stuff. You can look at the definition of it in the Chiefs defense against the Seahawks. It was always, I mean, whether they had, whether they were nickel or dime or their base formation, they just lined up the same way pretty much every time. Very, very, very few blitzes, almost no twists, no stunts, nothing delayed. It was just very, very basic stuff. As if you just lined up the same defense over and over and over and over and over. Basic man and zone concepts. There was just nothing at all complicated thrown out there. It was so unbelievably vanilla. And got to keep in mind, that's without Justin Houston and Eric Berry. Yet despite that, the reason the Seahawks were able to move the ball is because Russell Wilson made three or four fantastic plays under pressure. And there's just nothing you can do about that. And so rewatching the defense too, it tended to make me think, oh, well, this really wasn't that bad. And it's just kind of interesting how when you watch a game without emotion involved, which that's a problem for me because I'm supposed to be objective and I'm supposed to be analyzing, but in the moment when you're watching the game, all you can go is, oh no, and just it just freak out a little bit. And I'm just here to tell you that if you rewatch that game just once, and especially a couple times, and start focusing on individual matchups, which what preseason is really about, not team versus team, but individual matchups, the Chiefs did just fine against a tough opponent. It was just a weird, sloppy game. And so... Um, next, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the defensive line and the run defense, which has some people worried. And then, of course, the offensive side of the ball, running the ball, with Kareem Hunt being the next man up with Spencer Ware's injury. First, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to dive into those topics. So the run defense has been kind of a concern for a bunch of people throughout the course of 
the this season and last season, and for good reason. Last season, run defense struggled. Last week, we talked a little bit about the fact that Cincinnati, a solid rushing team, with Joe Mixon, who, man, I've been watching him in some other preseason games. He's going to be a really, really good runner back. I mean, he he has ridiculous feet for a, a guy his size, great speed. He's going to be a good one. They couldn't get anything going against the Chiefs starters. Well, the, the Seahawks had a couple of decent runs, which had people talking to me on Twitter about the run defense being a concern again. I've got to tell you, re-watching, and even initially, I don't really share those concerns. What happened with those runs, there were there were just a couple runs where things just didn't go well. A couple times they ran straight at D Ford or Frank Zombo, and in a situation where they otherwise would have been running at Tom Baha, or at not Tom Bahali, but Justin Houston. And they were able to they were able to bully Frank Zombo out of the way on a couple of big runs. That's just a whole different story when you have Justin Houston in there. It's also a whole different story with regards to some of those runs going, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards with you have Eric Berry in there. You know, people underestimate the value of making a tackle 10 yards down the field. The thing is, it does have value if you're keeping it from going another 10 yards. And that's why, you know, that's why it's called safety. It's to keep bad things from happening. You're kind of the last line of defense. And Eric Berry, even when he's in that free-ranging, free-safety mode or playing robber or anywhere else but but strong safety, he is still one of the best in the league at preventing 20-yard gains and turning them into 15-yard gains or 10-yard gains. And that might not sound like much, but if you do it four or five times a game, you're talking a 40 or 50-yard swing. That's a big, big deal. So overall, when you start watching the defensive linemen individually I was impressed um Roy Miller had a couple of bad snaps but he also had a couple of really good snaps especially down by the goal line when the Chiefs made a couple of impressive stops he is big and he is strong and he is tough to move that's what I saw on him his worst snap he got bowled over but from my angle it looked like he got hit by one of his own players too so he was off balance and so it'll be interesting to see him moving forward um it looked like he got a little dinged up there at a certain point in the game but I like the strength that I saw on him, and he's a guy who could really help on the goal line and in third and short situations. Um, Benny Logan continued to play well. Uh, He continued to be really tough to move in the run game and very good at shedding shedding blockers and finding the runner quickly. What he also showed that he didn't show against Cincinnati, he actually logged three or four pass rush wins, and he actually had a couple of pressures on Russell Wilson, um, a couple where Russ just made these ridiculous escapes. He's a hard guy to bring down unless you like immediately get in his face like Chris Jones did. He's just so fast for a quarterback and that he's tough to bring down. And Logan was able to move him significantly off his spot a couple times. It was just a matter of it's Russell Wilson. And he made a couple throws on the run in those situations that were just stupid throws. Um, which honestly shows the value of a quarterback who can do that kind of thing because it really sucks the life out of a defense, which, you know, that's the argument to be made, what Patrick Mahomes does well. He takes negative plays and turns them into a positive. That's what Russell Wilson is great at. And so Benny Logan demonstrated a little pass rush, and actually so did Raheem Nunez-Rochez a bit too. They were getting pressure on Wilson. He just kept turning it into wins. It was disgusting. Um, Nunez-Rochez continued to demonstrate that explosive first step. He was walking linemen back. He had a couple of run stops where he just bowled his guy over. Um, He's going to force his way onto the field. Um, Both Alan Bailey and Chris Jones are going to need to make sure they play real well if they don't want Nacho to take 
significant snaps from them. And I, yeah, I said both of them because, I mean, Chris Jones just came back. And I assume he'll be great, but you never know. He's going to have to continue to play really well because Nacho has looked that good. Allen Bailey continued to look strong against the run. He didn't stand out quite as much as he did against uh, against the Bengals, but he did demonstrate his shocking speed for a guy built like him running down Russell Wilson. He had a couple of decent pass rushes. They actually had him on the edge a couple times, which I thought was fantastic. You know, this 310-pound edge guy. It was cool to watch. Um, he moves pretty well for a guy his size. He's not quick, but he can be fast. And so it was interesting watching him out there. He he looks ready. Um, the entire defensive line does, to be perfectly honest, especially now that they brought back Chris Jones, who, interestingly enough, he, he was kind of rotating in with the first stringers. You could tell they were just getting him a little game action. They actually kept him in with the second team, uh, in, the, in the second half when most of the starters got pulled. I assume it's to give him a few snaps, get him conditioned a little bit. And it was when he was in there with the second team where he had one really great run stop where he just kind of shrugged his offensive lineman aside. And then he had the sack, obviously, of Russell Wilson where he just <laughs> he basically just moved the, the left tackle's hands and ran right by him. It was hilarious. Um, and the kind of thing that demonstrates what he brings to the table is not just pressure – but immediate pressure. And that's a big deal. Uh, in that, And you saw that with Russ Wilson. He's he's really tough to bring down. But when Jones got that immediate pressure, there was just nothing he could do because Jones was in his face within a second of the snap. And no quarterback can deal with that. It's just too quick. It's a lot like uh, Jones' snap of Cam Newton, another guy who was tough to sack, last season um, on a crucial third down where he just, he just blew past the right guard so quickly that there was nothing Cam Newton could do. It was a similar sack there. And so uh, Jones, um, he did look rusty. He looked like he hadn't played in a little bit, but uh, he he demonstrated he was strong at the point of attack. He still got you know being rusty doesn't keep you from having ridiculously long arms. He still looks strong there, and he he looks like he's ready to go. I'm excited to see him more moving forward. It'd be interesting to me if they chose to play him a little bit in the fourth preseason game just to get a few more live snaps in there for him. I would actually be in favor of that if he's feeling up to it because you just you want to get him in game shape because they're going to need him, especially on pass rushing downs this year. Um, I think they're going to have him next to Logan and Nacho would be my guess. Those are the two guys that will rotate next to him, but he's going to be primarily the guy they're counting on to bring interior pressure or at least to draw a lot of double teams and draw a lot of attention. So the defensive line as a whole looked good. That was something to be very encouraged about. Um, and so, you know, speaking of, you know, stopping the run, we got to talk about running the ball. Spencer Ware getting hurt. That stinks. Um, he's looked, he's looked good. He's looked nimble. He's looked powerful. He's looked, I mean, he, he's, he's hit the right gaps. He looks good in pass protection. He looked like he was ready to have a good season. Um, he was looking good catching the ball. I mean, even the play that he got hurt on, even after he got hurt, he bowled his way forward for the first down. I mean, you need guys like that. He can create yards where yards don't exist. And that's an incredibly valuable trait. And so the Chiefs are going to miss him. Make absolutely no mistake about that. I was really looking forward to seeing a tandem, uh, like a true tandem, even though it would destroy a lot of people's fantasy teams, of Spencer wearing Kareem Hunt keeping each other fresh. And now it's going to be a little bit of a different ball game. That said, Kareem Hunt came in and he played very well. 
Um, he do, he did demonstrate um, there was one particular play where Cam Chancellor beat him in pass protection. That wasn't really him getting the wrong assignment or anything like that. It was just a matter of Cam Chancellor being Cam Chancellor. He is a monster. And I think Hunt will get a little more used to dealing with guys like that as time goes along. Besides that play, he had one other play where he, he chose the wrong gap when he was running, and they actually highlighted it on the broadcast so a bunch more people noticed it. And it was kind of a funny thing for me. A bunch of people noticed it, and what ends up happening when they notice something, when certain kind of person, obviously none of you listeners, uh, notice something or it gets pointed out to them on the broadcast, they start thinking it's part of this broader issue. So what I had a bunch of people ask me is like, does Kareem Hunt have, have vision issues? You know, he, I think he's missing a couple of a couple of gaps. It's like, well, no, he missed the one that the, the TV pointed out. And they were absolutely right. It was a bad miss on his part. He should have cut right. Instead, he cut left right into his blockers and only gained two yards where it looked like he had at least 10 for the taking. On the other hand, the defensive player that was supposed to be filling that gap, even though he was moving the wrong direction, his helmet was still flashed to the, to the, to the, the side of the hole from his blocker. And it could have been that Hunt just saw the helmet and went the other way, which is what line, what running backs are trained to do. They look for the helmet flashing and then they go the other way. That said, he's got to be able to make those snap judgments a little more quickly and realize when there's actually a guy filling the gap and when there's someone just trying to flash their helmet to keep you from going somewhere. Um, besides that, though, those two plays, Hunt played really well. He's, he's, he's repeatedly shown soft hands in the passing game. Um, he's shown the ability to make defenders miss and to fight for extra yards. He's generally, in my opinion, though I think this he's got a little work to do, he's generally shown good vision. He generally picks the right holes. He doesn't hesitate. He just attacks. And so the funny thing is with his other skill set, even when he doesn't necessarily go to the perfect place, he usually gets some positive yardage because he's so aggressive with how he runs. Um I was very impressed with the skill set he's shown. I think I'm really mad because someone snagged him in in my recent fantasy draft real late. Uh, the guy who drafted Spencer Ware, you know, obviously handcuffed Hunt to him. And what I was going to do was steal him from someone in like you know the the tenth round or something like that, anticipating that this might happen. And right before I was going to take him, the guy stole him out from underneath me. I couldn't believe it um, because now I think he's going to really reward someone because I think he's going to be very involved in the passing game. And I do think with what we saw them doing against Seattle, I think he's also a guy who could do a 20-25 you know, carries a game in various situations. Now, you don't want to do that too often because you don't want to wear him down, especially now that wears out, but he seems like a guy who could. He handles physicality very well, and he he was a bell cow in college. I think he's ready. So I think the Chiefs are still in good hands there. They just lack depth. And now it's like, well, what if Hunt goes down? So what I see what I see with things shaking out right now is I think they hang on to both Spiller and West, and they take the three of them into the season. I think Ware probably ends up getting put on injured reserve. And I think, and this is just based on what I see so far, I think Spiller is going to be the guy that spells Hunt primarily, but I think you'll see West occasionally in there on third downs because he's a good receiver and he's a good pass protection back. Um, and that's perfectly fine by me. I, I think there's definitely a role for West there because, again, he's he's a good receiver out of the backfield and he's really good in pass pro. So you put him out there and, and, and that's going to probably tip teams to what you're doing. But on third and long situations, it's not like they don't already know what you're doing. So I think they're still good at running back, but they're definitely not as good because Spencer Ware is a very good player and he could have really helped the team. Um, moving forward, I just I hope to see... Uh, Spiller continue to show the explosion that he's shown. 
because so far he's looked he's looked ready to go again. He he he's he's bursting through holes in the line very very quickly. Um, he's catching the ball well. He looks like a guy who's ready to contribute, and I think he might contribute a bit more than Chiefs fans are expecting, especially in that second runner role. I think they're going to be fine there. You just got to hope that he stays healthy. Oh, and one little quick note on Charkandrick West: the reason you want guys like him on your team. Because there's been a bit of a backlash against him by Chiefs fans. If you look at the uh, one of Patrick Mahomes' uh, early snaps where a backup offensive lineman steps on his foot and he fell over. As that happened, um, one of the Seahawks players, one of the linebackers, he saw an opportunity to take a free shot at the quarterback on the ground. And so start in on him. Charkandrick West immediately saw what he was doing and, and, and dove in the way, hitting the linebacker and knocking him away from Mahomes. And then he kind of went after him a second time too. And I'm just saying you need guys like that on your team, guys who don't, they not only just recognize what's going on, but also the kind of guy that's going to say, no, screw you, you're not taking a shot at my quarterback. I like that. I've always liked Sharkandrick West, and I think they need toughness like that on the team. So I, I'm, they're still okay at running back, but obviously it's not as strong as they were. I do think Kareem Hunt's going to go on to have a really good year if he stays healthy, though. I think he, there, there's a legitimate chance he gets some, uh, some rookie of the year consideration just because other running backs that are in good positions, they're sharing the load a little more. Um, McCaffrey, I think, is going to be fantastic, but he's sharing the load. I think Mixon's going to be good, but you got Hill and Bernard there already. You just have other running backs. You know, Fournette is the only guy who isn't really sharing the load. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure how well he's going to be able to do on that team. Um, maybe Dalvin Cook. I don't know, but I just think that Hunt is going to be in the running for it. I think you could easily see a 1,000-yard season from him with another five, 600 yards receiving. It would not surprise me one bit. Uh, moving on to a couple more guys people asked me to uh, to chat about before we talk quarterbacks. Um, I've had a few people ask me about uh, Marcus Kemp, who ha- he made a couple of really big special teams plays against the Seahawks. One, he had a great tackle um, on a punt where he, he just absolutely laid out, or was it a kickoff? Either way, I can't remember right now, where he absolutely laid out the returner. Great hit. And he additionally, he had the he had the block punt that, of course, and this is a good example of how that game went. You know, you get a block punt and then, you know, one of the backup tight ends decides to inexplicably decides to try to grab the ball, even though he's prone, he's laying on the ground. He couldn't possibly grab it, but he still did. He basically gave it back to the Seahawks. It was ridiculous. That's the type of game that was. It had nothing to do with the Seahawks being better and everything to do with the Chiefs shooting themselves in the foot in highly uncharacteristic fashion. And so Kemp had a couple big special teams plays and, you know, watching him play on special teams, you know, he's a, he's, he's lanky, but he's got good size. He's got good speed. He's really willing to hit. He's really willing to take guys on. And he, he seems to have a knack for getting close. Cause he got close to, he's gotten close by my eyes to another couple punt blocks during the preseason. And so I think he's a guy you want to keep around. Now, how they do that, I'm not a roster construction guy. I'm not a guy who goes through and goes through the 1 through 53 and says, this is my proposed 53. I don't do that. It's just too many things. It's like I don't do seven-round mock drafts. One thing affects another thing affects another thing, and it's just too much. 
But I will say that I would like to see them keep him on the roster. You know, I'm trying to think, you know, receivers-wise, you've got, you know, obviously you've got Hill and you've obviously got Conley. And from the looks of it, you've obviously got Wilson as much as I'm maybe not on, oh, perfectly on board with that decision. He had another really rough game against Seattle. Um You've got DeAnthony Thomas, who I think is virtually a sure thing. You've got Chesson, who was drafted. And you, you, start to, uh, you start to try to figure out who might make the roster. And once you get past the sure things, it's kind of tough to see Kemp making the cut. I wouldn't mind seeing him make the cut, though, for a couple reasons. First, because of the special team contributions. Um, Dave Taub is great at taking guys like him, good athletes and turning them into stars on special teams. He's just great at it. I think Kemp could be a guy that could help with that. The other thing is that he's kind of unique among Chiefs receivers. He uh he's he's 64 so he's a much bigger receiver and he it just it's different than a lot of the smaller faster guys the only guy with size really is uh is is Chris Conley right now at least as far as guys that have actually made an impact during preseason games. Um, the one thing that I see Kemp is going to really have a struggle with is if you look at a couple snaps, he just got destroyed by press coverage. Um, and so he's going to have to figure that out. But I would like to see them hang on to him somehow, even if it's as a practice squad guy. I think he's a guy you could safely stash for a year, have him work on how to deal with press coverage, and maybe you know maybe the year after he'd make improvements on it like Chris Conley did. Um one more, one more little topic is uh, is is KPL in a league way. I've had a lot of people ask me about inside linebackers. Obviously, um, the news today with Ragland, it it ch- kind of changes the analysis a little bit because if they were happy with the guys that they've got, it's hard to believe they would trade for someone. Although one could argue that they just saw great value in a player they really liked and just pulled the trigger. Which, by the way, I love how aggressive Veach is being. Um, you know, these draft picks, I mean, you want to make sure you don't trade away all of them, but I don't care about a, a fourth rounder in 2019 right now because you can potentially get great value in Ragland. Could they have maybe picked him up in free agency? Maybe, but you're also, you're also kind of making a bet that one, he'll be available and exactly, you know, whether that he'll choose you. Doing this, they reassured that they got a guy that they apparently really like. And a guy who fits a need to a T with regards to needing a downhill thumper. Both, again, not just playing next to DJ potentially, and I don't think that'll happen much this year, but if DJ goes down and Rameek slides into DJ's spot, which I can almost guarantee he will, they need a competent backup. And I think Raglan could be that guy who slides into the strong inside linebacker position. Um, so what does that mean for Ligway and KPL? Um, I, I took, took some time to watch both of them against the Seahawks and neither one of them particularly impressed me. They both have good speed and I think you can see some raw materials there for both. I think especially with a, with a league way. Um, and you can see with, with KPL too. He's just, he is fast. Um, both of them though, they need to get better dealing with blockers and they need to improve their read and react. Um, we've talked a lot here about Rameek Wilson and how it seemed at times he was hesitating, and it just took an extra split second longer to identify the gap to attack or the gap to fill, and it allowed offensive linemen to get into his chest. Um, it's the same thing with KPL and Oligwe. And so they are going to have to figure that stuff out. 
I think as of right now, if they saw the field in the regular season, they would be a, a, a weakness that would get exploited, much like DJ Alexander did and much like uh, Terrence Smith did. I think they would be weaknesses that would be exploited. Um, on the flip side, KPL looks great on special teams, so that's been awesome to see. I think Ligway has looked really solid on special teams too. So I think they're going to be big contributors there. But as of right now... I just don't see either of them threatening for that inside linebacker spot. And I don't think you see a trade for Ragland if Bob Sutton thought they were threatening for that inside linebacker spot either. One thing that's important to remember is Bob Sutton commented that Rameek Wilson was in the running when he was asked. I believe it was by Therese Paler. He was in the running for uh, the, the strong inside linebacker spot against Josh Maga, whom they've now released after adding... Ragland. That tells me that I think Ragland's going to get some real chances here to at least back up that strong inside linebacker position. Um, man, we've covered a lot of ground real quickly. I do want to cover quarterbacks too, just because I really don't think it would be a Chief of the North preseason podcast if we didn't cover quarterbacks. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes against Seattle. All right. The first, uh, the first impression that I had of Mahomes against Seattle is that he didn't have a particularly good game, and similar with Alex. And so I, you know, you take a break, you go back, and, and you you watch the game a couple times later, focusing just on the quarterbacks. And I gotta say, this is another time I gotta kind of admit being wrong a little bit. You know, Alex, one thing that he struggled with that was unusual is his ball placement wasn't good in, on three or four passes. Um, in a row, actually, he just—he was just a little inaccurate, a little off, a little off the mark, which has been unusual this preseason. He's generally been in a zone, and so that was a little disappointing to see. However, Alex got victimized by some rough drops. Everyone knows the deep ball to Tyree Kill, which yes, Alex absolutely could have led him out farther. But was that still dropped in the bucket and a catch that you have to make as a wide receiver? Absolutely. And then of course there was a first round or first round, a first down. Uh, drop that uh, that Hill had earlier that was just as easy as falling off a log, but he started to run first. There was an off-target one that should have been caught, even though it was off-target, um, that uh, would have been good for another five yards or so. You, you start adding these up, you're talking like you know three completions for 50 yards that really got left on the table, unfortunately. Um, then additionally, Travis Kelsey dropped one that would have likely been a first down and some good yardage. He really got victimized with drops more than normal. That said, I didn't see Alex helping raise the raise the raise all ships. He wasn't the rising tide. He didn't necessarily make any big plays that helped the offense move when it was otherwise struggling. And as much as I again, I Alex did not play bad against the Seahawks like I originally thought. But one thing that it did in my opinion, expose is the continued problem that when Andy Reid's scheme is maybe like when there, when there are two problems that can really derail an offense, one is uh, a coach getting out coached, you know, a scheme not working and not putting players in a position to succeed. Right. The other thing is that players don't execute. You know, they drop passes, they miss blocks, they throw the ball inaccurately, however it goes. Well, what I'd like to see from Alex is him winning sometimes when either the scheme breaks down and, you know, Andy Reid's scheme doesn't work out or the the defense kind of sees it coming, whatever, right? Instant pressure because of an unblocked guy that got missed, whatever. When the scheme doesn't win for him 
or I'd like to see him win sometimes when other offensive players are having struggle with execution. Now, let me be clear on something. Alex can't control it if he throws a catchable pass and the guy doesn't catch it. He doesn't control that. So that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when he's under a bit of quick pressure or when it seems like receivers are struggling to get open, throwing a guy open or scrambling around long enough for a guy to get open. Things like that with regards to other players not executing or if Andy's scheme doesn't necessarily create a wide open mismatch or a route that's naturally advantageous against the coverage, I'd like to see Alex be able to sit there and, and again, move around in the pocket long enough or, for, or force a throw in there, and people hate the word forced, but I sometimes it's a good thing, force a ball in there that's into tight coverage. That, that, that makes it difficult for the defense to defend. I want to see him win even when Andy Reid doesn't win and even when his teammates don't win. And that's what I mean by being the rising tide that, that raises all boats. I want Alex Smith to be that guy a little more often. Has he been every now and then? Yes, every now and then. Um, he has been that guy. Without a doubt, last year, even though he regressed overall, he actually had more moments like that last year, oddly enough. Um, and so that that was a frustrating thing for me, even on rewatch, even though Alex didn't play nearly as bad as I thought he did. It was frustrating to see him not be able to 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 raise raise the boats. And that's that's something that I think is going to continue to be frustrating for me and for Chiefs fans. But at the same time, I think you know we'll put up with it if it means generally efficient, competent quarterbacking and running the offense correctly. And then, of course, you've got kind of the the opposite problem with Mahomes. Is there's a there's a question with whether Patrick Mahomes can consistently run the offense the way it's meant to be run. However, he is absolutely a guy that when other things aren't working out, he is the tide that raises all ships. When he's under pressure, he finds guys for first down. He moves away from the pressure and runs around until people get open. He does fire the ball into tight windows that defenders just you know even though they're there, they can't get to. And so it's just interesting because he doesn't always do the things that you're hoping to see with regards to to scheme or perhaps pre-snap reads or that kind of thing. But once the ball is snapped, he's a guy that even if Andy Reid doesn't win, the offense can still win. And that's what makes him so intriguing. I'll be perfectly honest. While I was watching the game, and I think I was distracted by the sloppiness of everything, by a couple plays that that set the narrative kind of early. You know, Mahomes got sacked early, and that was kind of disappointing. That said, he was absolutely correct to pull the ball down. He could have found DeAnthony Thomas um, on the left side. It would have been well short of a first down. Richard Sherman and a couple other defenders were there. That was kind of the bait route. Um and so the fact that he really didn't pay much attention to that route, I don't care. And by the time he could have come back around to it, he was absolutely smart to tuck the ball and just take the hit. Um, he actually got praised for that by the announcer. you got to take the sack sometimes. And that's what he did. That was encouraging to me because occasionally he looks like a guy, by God, I'm not going to get sacked. I'm going to make the play. And because of that, you got to worry about defenses feasting on him. Despite the fact that he didn't get a lot of protection, he didn't throw passes that were doomed. He he generally speaking, you know, once you rewatch and you take, you know, one play he got his foot stepped on by the center. Um another play, you know, again, he he gets sacked because there's no one open. Um you know, these in, in most plays he was out there running fairly quickly because the backup offensive line just couldn't handle Seattle. 
the one bad play that he had was just dropping the snap in shotgun. That was rough. Make no mistake. But, you know, it's kind of funny. Once you really actually look at the plays that he made, he was actually pretty impressive. Um, you know, the, 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 the best drive of the night, unfortunately ended on a bad note, which to be fair, it should have been a touchdown the play before when he hit, uh, Ross Travis on a back shoulder throw and Travis didn't mind the boundary and come down and bounce, which he absolutely should have. That was his job. The ball was on the money. You've got to make sure you are in the boundary. If you're a tight end or a receiver, you've got to make sure about where you're going to come down because the ball was there. It was on time. It was in the right spot. And Travis just drifted a little too far. And so it's just kind of interesting to me if you take something that was completely out of the quarterback's control and change that, I think it would have changed my view of the game during the game. Going back and watching, there were multiple plays that that Mahomes made not by himself completely because receivers had to catch the ball, but where he created yardage on a blown play. And that's just fun to watch. It's fun football to see and it's encouraging. And so he continued to demonstrate why he really is kind of the anti-Alex right now, which is why I think a certain subset of Chiefs fans have really latched onto the idea of start Mahomes now, start Mahomes now, start Mahomes now, because they see these traits that he has, that being the rising tide, he, they see that trait, and that's what they want. And I think sometimes it blinds them to the things that Alex does well and the things that we'd miss if Mahomes were on the field permanently. Um at this point, you know, I've I've said throughout preseason, you know, there's a 10 to 15% chance that we see Mahomes start. At this point, I would say that percentage has lowered to like 0.01 because I think we would have seen Andy doing something about it by now. And with the quotes that have come out, the fact that Mahomes is going to play in the last preseason game, it's pretty easy to see that that Alex is going to be the guy this year. Um, am I thrilled about that? I don't know. I think Alex is the better quarterback right now. Um, frankly, I don't know by how much because they have such varying strengths and weaknesses. Um, I guess it just depends on your opinion of how risky Mahomes is and whether or not, you know, turnovers will go way up. I guess, you know, Mahomes hasn't thrown a pick yet. He threw an almost pick in one game. Alex threw an almost pick in one game. But other than that, Mahomes, even on these plays where he's scrambling around, he's still been very safe with the ball. And so I guess, am I am I thrilled about it? I don't know necessarily. I, I'm hopeful that Alex will have his best season as a Chief. I'm a little more leery about it after the Seattle game because he, while he didn't look bad, he looked the same. Um, from what I've seen. Now, that downfield throw to Hill was still a decent throw, and so we'll have to see how he looks against the Patriots in week one, which, you know, hey, talk about starting off with a tough test. Um, Right now, I'm still in the position to where someone could easily talk me into Mahomes being the guy because I don't know how much of a drop-off there'd really be with Andy Reid scheming more tightly and just... Uh, running the offense around Mahomes' skill set rather than Alex's. But it's just not what's going to happen. So in the meantime, we just got to hope that Mahomes sits and he learns and he absorbs things as quickly when he's off the field as he seems to when he's on the field because every week he's improved in various aspects of his game. And that's really encouraging looking forward for the future. Well... That is, that's all I've got for the day. Um, as always, thanks for joining me here on the, the Chief of the North podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk Chiefs with you guys. Uh, make sure whatever platform you're using, whether it's iTunes or something else, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to rate us and review us. Um, 
it makes a difference. I know it's silly, uh, but it really does help with things, and it helps uh, spreading the news of this particular podcast. Tell your friends, hey, you haven't listened to Chiefs football until you've listened to Chief in the North. All right, thanks for joining me, guys. We will see you next week, Monday, when I actually get this posted on time.